Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 55, the perfect adventure and some special rules that these travelers dare not break. All that and a lot more coming up. But before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month with a support of $50 or more. And I hope I get all these names right. Bear with me. Kim Hansen, Wayne Unra. Jim Raboski, Oyston Scott, Herbert Sweeney, Ron Decker, Dustin Richardson, Frederick Schwiller. All oh, thank you very much. That is fantastic. And remember that you can get a shout out on the show here. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on the show like I just did now. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent back at you for your pannier or your toolbox or whatever. And we've got some other things going on there. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Anyway, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for August 2020. This is episode 55. So you are having whiskey on your Wheaties. <laughs> no. Okay, well, let's fire things up. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our minds. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet. I'm joined by our regular, esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Grant, how is your new, uh, or your semi-new 400 holding out for you? I was out on it yesterday and really enjoying it. Mm. I had a visit with a suspension man and we got it tweaked out. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, it's it's good to get out and, and ride the dirt. It's been so long since I've really been able to get out of my own bike rather than a borrowed bike where you have to be super careful. Mustn't drop it. Mustn't scratch it. But wait a minute. It's a dirt bike. You're supposed to drop it. You know? <laughs> it's uh, it's a real nice change. It's It's been lots of fun. I've been enjoying it. The suspension man. <laughs> the local expert who is not just local expert, but uh, very North America wide, Rod Matichik at RMR Suspension. Um, had a good look at my bike yesterday. Did some changes and changed some valves and changed some springs and customized the springs and tweaked things here and there and everywhere. And wow, I got to say, what a difference. Mm. You know, I, I keep telling people, you put a new shock on your bike, you can't believe how much of an improvement it is. But some tweaks to the front forks makes an amazing difference too. Went from being harsh, pounding, horrible to ride to, oh, now that's that's what it's like to drive a Cadillac in the dirt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we've got Sam Manicom, of course, in the UK. Sam is sweating it out in his office in the UK and um, probably counting the days since you've been on your bike. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's a very, very nice 30 degrees Celsius, and I like this temperature, but there's no breeze, and um, I'm sitting in a tiny little space, so we've got the windows open, and I was just saying to the guys before we um, started recording that um, you, you may get an ambulance or a police car belting past, so please bear with me if that's the case, but it's really nice, and I'll tell you what, we are going to get a cracker of a sunset tonight. I'm uh, looking out the window and it's just beginning to turn now. So, yeah, I might interrupt later on with a description of amazing colours or something stupid. <laughs> you have to bear with me. And yes, me talking nonstop is a symptom of not riding my bike for ages. Mm. 30 degrees, that's not normal for you, is it? Um, in Devon, we get those temperatures quite frequently, but more and more uh, every year, the, temp- the summer temperatures get uh, higher and higher. Uh, um, and we, we've had a, a really, really dry summer. Uh, this year, uh, which is, of course, spectacular for everybody who's out and about, but not so good for people's gardens. Yeah, that's true. And you like the heat because you actually come from somewhere that's warm. 
Well, that's right. I mean, I was born and brought up in, in um, Africa, only till I was 10. But uh, after that, I still lived more of my life outside of the UK than in it. And the greatest percentage of that time has been in hot countries. So I'm really at home in it. It's, I, I watch other people who aren't used to the heat and they're sort of slowing down and gasping. And I'm, I'm just like, I've got solar panels attached and I'm, I'm getting energy and coming alive. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, we're, we're sort of experiencing the same heat where we are right now. And um, yeah, I, I like, I, I don't complain about the weather. I, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I can complain about the weather, but I don't like to because um, I love it when it's warm. And if it's warm mm-hmm. and you're sweating like crazy, as long as I don't have to go in somewhere where I'm embarrassed to be sweating, um, then it's not so bad. Yeah, right. But, uh, but anyway, Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks over in Australia are up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, maybe bright-eyed because of the coffee and bushy-tailed. I don't know about that. And we can't tell you what the weather's like because it's pitch black. No, 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 but we can hear the rain. Oh, you can hear the rain. <laughs> Brian, yeah, have you been yeah. riding still or have you sort of packed yeah. it in? No, no, no. No, I was out the last two days. Um, we're able to, even though we're in- uh, We're COVID, back in lockdown. COVID lockdown oh, stage three, but um, we can still go out for a ride as long as we keep social distance and things and like that. And you don't stop. Yeah, yeah, you don't stop, you know, and, and um, there's only uh, a few reasons to go out- um, and mixing with people, isn't there, sure? Well, we're not allowed to mix with people, but no. we're not as bad as in Melbourne where they've got a curfew and um, they're in stage four lockdown. We've just gone back to stage three, but we're on our second wave of COVID here, which isn't so good, but um, it's winter and it's cold and wet, so it's not so bad being stuck inside. It's just we're stuck inside together. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> you mean to say the government puts out a, a plan and says we're back into stage three, and it's okay for Brian to go out and ride his bike if he needs to? Uh, that, that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> on the uh, on the list of things you can do, uh, you can go for a um, a ride slash drive, as long as you um, don't stop and socialise or you know buy takeaway food and then sit and have a picnic. You can just. And within your, within within reason within your local area, and that's okay. You know, it means I can circulate the bikes, I can uh, do a few things. I, I'm I'm like Grant. I was out tweaking suspension on my son's bike actually, which is a Tiger 1050 for those who know Triumphs, which is a great little bike. But um, yeah, yeah. So I've been doing that. Um, but stage four lockdown for people in uh, metropolitan Melbourne. I don't know how um, other countries do it, but Australians have been pretty damn good. Curfews from eight o'clock at night, bang, no one on the streets. Um, uh, everyone's got to wear a mask, and there's these fines if you don't wear a mask. There's fines if you're out circulating when you shouldn't be, and all those sorts of things. So, um, but you know, uh, our, our government's in apoplexy. We, we lost 19 people yesterday, yeah, mm. and um, uh, you know, and other countries I know where you are, Sam, you know, you lose. Probably lose that, I don't know, um, in a couple of hours. Mm. Last month, um, Brian, if you added up all of the people that were killed in the UK because, you know, died because of COVID 19, we would have had three jumbo jets crash with all passengers yeah. and crew killed. It's, yeah. it's that level. And when you put it in that sort of level of thinking, you just think, good grief. 
Really? No, I'm very impressed with what I'm watching. Um, just you know, you got you guys doing over there because you're going to get it under control again. You're going to clamp it down, and the number of people that will die or end up with long-term illnesses because of the side effects and so on, um, it's going to be minimal. Mm. Fantastic. Well, we got to get over this whole thing quickly so that um, everybody can get back to normal. Well, I mean, that, this is just that's, a, yeah. that's, that's the problem, Jim. You know, everyone's getting uh, stir crazy because they can't get out and go riding oh, as yeah. much as they want. And, you know, well, I'll, and you get the World I'll, Health Organization saying this is going to be around for two or three years. It's going to be the, the yeah. new norm. But, but anyway, <laughs> hang on, before we get any further here, let me bring in Graham Field. Uh, Graham is in Bulgaria. Graham, good evening. Hello. Yeah, it's totally dark here as well. We won't be getting light anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, now, are you all finished your breakfast? <laughs> just choking on the last bit of muesli, actually. <laughs> so you, you, what you said before we started recording is you're eating your breakfast now at night so that you're ahead for the morning? Yeah, well, I've got to catch up somehow. So I thought if I eat it now, I won't have to have it in the morning. So. Oh, I like this, but you I'm, know. I'm broadcasting <laughs> from the shed. Uh, it's got a house full of people. And normally when I do it, it's the morning. I slowly watch you get light. But if I have the light on in the shed, then all I've got is my reflection in the window of me wearing headphones. And I don't really like that much. So I've turned out all the lights. So the laptop is glowing. And I'm just looking out on the darkness. <laughs> really? well, why don't you put the light dark. back on, put some shades on and, you know, there you go. You're all set. I don't like that aspect, but I, you know, if I mean, we don't get a lot of pedestrian traffic. Oh, flash of lightning. Wow, that's exciting. So, um, but, you know, I don't like the idea that I'm on display on my shed on the hill. Should anybody pass? What the hell is he doing now? <laughs> Talking to himself with headphones on. <laughs> this is the same village that last month you were concerned about them coming by with pitchforks and torches because you arrived from being out of country. Yeah, yeah, that never happened. So um, mm. there's really no evidence of, of anything going on, really. And go out and ride your bike and um, went to Seaside a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. So life carries on as normal here, really. And uh, you mean you're not yeah, getting government different. updates and everything like that on, on COVID in your country? I'm not. <laughs> not uh. updating me, not calling me. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff all over the news, but you know. Within my little realm here, within my little village, my mum's over at the moment. The dispatch department's here because it's her birthday, and my girlfriend and her daughter's here, and we just had some friends over for um, for a dinner, and um, life carries on, really. Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! That's always friends, nice. Seeing friends. I know. Nice. <laughs> well, I don't know them that well, but you know. <laughs> well, today the first thing we're kicking off with is. Um, what are the makings of the perfect motorcycle adventure? Since we can't be on one right now, um, you know, what is it? What, what is it? Is it, is it location? Is it destination? Um, you know, where, what you're seeing, who you're meeting, all, all those sorts of things. So I guess to, to, to kick things off with this, I, I'm going to hand over to Sam. <laughs> it's really funny I just had this mental image of I'm going to hand over to Sam by me up and oh damn it that was me straight <laughs> um, God you know I had a real real problem with this because what does make a perfect motorcycle adventure I started off by just brainstorming onto a piece of paper and I thought unlimited time mm. having a bike license and a bike that you like riding that's in good mechanical order and then that wonderful mix of common sense, curiosity, and cash, and then combine that with good maps and anything 
can become a perfect motorcycle adventure because the world's your oyster when you've got that mix of things, isn't it? Oh, no, that is a good mix. And I like the alliteration. And you could have add, added credit card. <laughs> yep. Yep, credit card would be good. Two of them, hey, Shirley, because we both know you've got to travel with at least two credit cards. Absolutely. You do definitely need two because if one gets – Oh, stop. It's really <laughs> early. <laughs> one of the things that struck me also was it's it's the ability to choose what type of roads that you ride on. It's the freedom to say, actually, I want to go that way today. Because if you can have that freedom every day, then you've got an adventure happening every day and all day because it's that wonderful sensation of having your own transport and therefore flexibility. What do you think, Grant? Yeah, I think it's, it's very, it's very flexible. And I think um, Sam's comment, time is probably the critical number one thing. I'm, I'm really busy. I've always got lots to do. Time is, is really hard for me. Um, So when I went out to RMR suspension yesterday, I actually got to go out and do some trail riding because I needed to test the suspension. And that was great. And it was in an area that I used to live like five kilometers away from where his shop is. And I had no idea that all the trail riding in that area was there. It's just, you know, it's like, it's like a mountain and you can't see any roads on it. I knew, didn't know there was anything up there. Turns out the place is full of mountain bike tracks and there's a big chunk of that that's good for motorcycle riding. So mm-hmm. for me, that was an adventure five kilometers from where I used to live for six years. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so it's kind of thing. like, well, location, right? Destination. Yeah, I think, um, like we've been talking a lot here at HU about micro-adventures for, since the start of this whole thing. Um, it's, and actually, I shouldn't say that. We've been talking about it for two or three years because a lot of people say, oh, Horizons Unlimited is all about big round-the-world trips. And I'm not going to be able to do that, so I'm not interested in going to Horizons Unlimited. Well, yeah, okay. Lots of our people and a big chunk of them do the big trips, but a lot of people can't for whatever reason. They've got kids, they've got all kinds of things. They've got bills to pay. They've got old, old parents to look after, whatever. It doesn't matter. They can't do a big trip, but they can do micro-adventures. And for me, yesterday was a micro-adventure. I got two hours, great trail riding in an area I didn't know existed, five kilometers from where I lived. Mm-hmm. That was an adventure. That was great. And I think you can do that anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter where you live. Just go looking for someplace you haven't been before and have a look. Go somewhere different. Uh, I know one guy who said that his automatic method of going for an adventure was you had to do a left turn and then a right turn, and then a left, and then a right, and then a left, and so on. You had to do that. And he said it was amazing where you'd end up. You'd think you'd end up going in a straight line, but actually you don't. (laughs) So do something different. Make it an adventure. Not to splinter our our, our conversation, but we we talked before about um, the the whole adventure motorcycle term. And um, and I think it was you that pointed out that and I agree that um, adventure motorcycling is more of like a, the weekend, you know, you go out for the weekend of the short jaunt where adventure travel or adventure motorcycle travel is where you're going out for longer trips. So what you're talking about is kind of adventure motorcycling. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you can't do an adventure travel because you're in lockdown, Brian probably can't leave the state of Victoria, but he can have all kinds of adventures and he can get out and have some fun and plan and prepare for his next trip. 
if he wanted to, he could if say he was a complete beginner. Okay, you've got your bike, you've got some camping gear, go out and camp somewhere in the middle of nowhere and check out your gear. Are you really ready to go? I couldn't tell you the number of people that, and sorry, I, I'm going to say it, Doug. Doug Watke comes to mind. He headed out on his trip across Russia, left his house in, I forget, somewhere in the southeast U.S., left his house and said he didn't get 10 miles before he figured out, I got to get rid of some of this crap. I can't <laughs> ride this bike like this. <laughs> well, maybe he should have taken a couple of fully loaded rides, gone camping, done whatever he's going to do um, in his local area and had a micro adventure testing out his gear, checking, make sure he hasn't got too much crap. So I, th I think that's something that we can all think um, going forward. We can do something rather than mm -hmm. sit in our house and sulk that we can't go on a big trip to another country. Well, okay, but you can do a lot of preparing. You yeah, can prepare that's... your bike, you can prepare your mind, you can prepare your equipment, you can test it all out, you can do your planning on the computer or wherever you want to do it. There's lots of information on the internet about places you might want to go. You can plan out a complete trip and have everything completely ready so that on the day you decide, okay, countries are open enough or whatever, I'm ready to go. And you're actually ready to go instead of, oh, I guess I better get my camping gear together. You're Grant, set. I had, you're a, done. I had an email today from a guy called Steve, and Steve was telling me that he was actually due to be on the road. He was supposed to be leaving in April this year. And his first instinct was just to get horribly frustrated about it because he worked like crazy to get the money together to do this and gone through the whole dreaming and drooling and planning stage and so on. And then all of a sudden, bang. Um, he didn't have anywhere to live. You know, all of the things that you normally put to one side when you're about to head off, he'd done all of that. Um, yeah. But then he said he slowly come round to seeing uh, what all the opportunities and the advantages of being stuck. And he said a key one for him was maps. He's heard us talk on Raw about maps and the joy of them and how valuable they are. He had planned to go off with just using his GPS and um, a mobile phone app as, as backup. But he said, I've got into maps and I've discovered some absolutely <laughs> amazing awesome. ones. If we hadn't been stuck at home, then... I would never have discovered how wonderful maps are. And he said, the extra time has meant that I've had the opportunity to hunt out some really good ones. And I thought, yeah, that's actually what it's about. It's not kicking yourself because you can't go. It's finding the silver lining and picking that up and playing with it and having fun with it. Mm. Yeah, sure. seeing what you've got and what you can do with it. Um, Graham and uh, Brian and Shirley, what do you guys think? Um, I agree with um, finding time to sort out your gear and all the rest of it. I've got a confession to make. I was supposed to be travelling with friends um, out to Uluru. I think I've mentioned this before. So, in, you know what it's like when you're camping. You need to need to have a good night's sleep. I ordered a really good stretcher to uh, put in my tent, you know, so it'd be nice and comfortable. And um, I've had it out and I've set it up in the back room and laid on it and made sure it's right. And um, it's damn comfortable but I bloody well can't get out and use it. You can always sleep out in the back room. <laughs> I think that was a great idea. <laughs> oh, I knew that was good. Surely you said that with enthusiasm, man. <laughs> you said stretcher, right? It, it, that's a cot for us? Yeah, yeah. You're taking a cot on a motorcycle trip? It's a, it's a Hellnox one yeah, that's made for motorcycling or camping. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, look... Uh, and normally I don't, but I thought, oh, no, everyone raves about these things. I'll try it out, give it a go. 
and uh, they, they're really good, I've got to say. But, you know, right, that's I, what you, you go. Sorry, Sam. Can I ask you a question about it? I mean, I know you haven't actually been out and tried it, but your mates may well have said something to you about this. One of the reasons that I've never got around to it is A, because of the, the space of carrying it, B, because of the money of, of buying it, but C, isn't it cold? Now, of course, for you guys in Australia, normally, that's not an issue. Actually, it's an advantage, isn't it? Having the air circulating around underneath you. That must be a huge asset. Yeah, that's right. That's what I think too. You know, and it does get hot and sweaty, in, uh, as you know, um, trying to sleep in a tent when it's quite humid and hot. Um, and yeah, I think I think it would be good. I, I travel with a friend, um, Darren James, and, and um, he swears by it. Loves his, loves his cot. Yeah, but if it gets cold, you, you will get cold on the bottom. You, you Like I, I get this with my hammock. I sleep with my hammock. I know we're going off topic here, but but with my hammock, um, when it's cool out, even just cool, I have to put a mat in there. So I put my sleeping mat in and I have to pull this little yeah. maneuver where I put my hand up over my head and pull myself forward while my other hand is behind my back pulling the mat up. It's quite the scene, but, um, yeah, yeah, but you yeah. have to, otherwise you get cold. Yeah, that's true. And, and you're right with the sleeping mat and um, the um, X-Pen beds uh, with the liners inside them. They're, they're quite good. And they take up no room at all. And, you know, if I'm not travelling uh, too up, it's quite easy to carry it. It takes your spot on the on the PNC. Yes, you see, there is only one stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, no room for two. That's for boys motorcycling. But because, Victoria, um, Grant, you are so right, we're not allowed anywhere. We are the pariahs of Australia. All borders are closed to Victoria. So um, we can travel as long as we don't talk to anyone. But... <laughs> Yeah, we can't camp or anything, and that will be until, gosh, mid mid to late September at the earliest. Mm. But it, you know, planning is a good thing. Um, dreaming is a good thing. Reading bikes, uh, books about my other motorcycle trips, traveling vicariously with other people is is a good is a good thing to do. Oh, but, where would I get one of those from, though, Shirley? I don't know, Graham. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? Well, I we wonder where. Scratch our heads here. <laughs> when we were planning our first trip, we were sort of so over planning, I guess. I know we've talked about that before. But um, I was watching television one night and Brian was, as his um, need to be in those days, he was at a murder scene. And I saw a thing on TV about Confucius's saying, roads were made for journeys, not destinations. So I did ring Brian at work to tell him this, to say that this was probably going to be our motivation for the rest of our lives. He didn't think it was that appropriate time to call because he was at a murder scene, but he agreed. So our catchphrase, we've adapted it a little, and our catchphrase, which we've had on T-shirts and things, is roads are for journeys, not destinations. And for us, that's one of the greatest things about the trip, isn't I mean, we've been to the most amazing places but getting there is as much fun as being there. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Graham, perfect adventure. Right. Well, yeah, that's what the question was, wasn't it? What are the makings of the perfect motorcycle adventure? So um, there's this radio station I used to listen to in the UK, and they used to have this thing called the Fantasy Festival. And you could write in with what bands you would like to see in what order, your festival, the one during the afternoon, your headliner and everything. So based on that, I did my fantasy best day on the road. Uh, now, most of these I've actually experienced, not all of them, most of them, but never all in one day. So this would be my ideal day on the road, okay? So you wake up realising you didn't have to get up and piss in the night and your sleeping bag isn't wet either. 
That's always a problem. The tent is also dry. There's no dew. So you unzip it and you see a deer outside. The sky's pink and the mountains are silhouetted as the sun starts to come up. You go to the river and you wash and you haven't got any mozzie bites. So it's definitely a clean underwear day. You roll up your tent. You haven't left your keys inside. Everything fits in the panniers. First time, I find my Swiss Army knife, which I thought I'd lost. My phone got fully charged overnight. So I take my bikes, my, I take my boots off the mirror. They're aired and they're fresh. I glance in the mirror. And my hair looks fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so put on the helmet and it's comfy. First time. There's no crinkles with the scarf or anything. So you're feeling washed, refreshed and clean. Today, don't have a specific destination, only a final one. I'm not on, I'm not killing time and I'm not chasing deadlines, not visa expiry, not ferry departure, not a limited holiday allowance. So swing my leg over the bike and I don't hit my knee on the pannier. Glance over the shoulder, haven't left anything behind. Bike starts up and I don't have the disc lock on. So I wobble down the dirt track without dropping the bike. And I got away with another wild camp. No unwanted company. So I'm in a cool morning air and that cool air has the effect of high octane fuel. The bike's super responsive. There's mountains ahead. And as I arrive, my eyes are watering with the fresh air of the morning and the road is empty. And slow kind of feels like the right pace. And then there's a roadside bin so I can stop and put last night's rubbish in it, which is on the bungees on, on the pannier. So I don't even have to stop and get off my bike. The road follows a river and falls into a canyon. And I realized there wasn't anywhere better to stop and camp last night than the place that I picked. So as I'm riding, there's misty cloud, mountain tops, and my tummy starts to rumble. And I smell smoke. And there's a roadside restaurant and they've just lit their stove. So I get coffee and an omelette. And it's served by a really pretty waitress. It gives me a smile of availability. And I look out. <laughs> and I look no, out. Yeah, we're and clearly bikes, into the fiction you know, zone now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I look out at my bike sitting there loaded in the car park, which is equally available. And I get out my phone to take a photo. The waitress checks her reflection in the window, fixes her hair. And I take a photo of my bike. The waitress slams the door and goes into the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So I spread my map out on the table as I eat and I find a green route of windy roads. I pack up some leftover bread in a napkin and go to their toilet, which is a clean, porcelain, beautiful toilet. Back on the road and I see a turnoff and take it. The morning is warming up, but the road is climbing. So the temperature remains ideal. And there's more mountains, jagged rocks, and I catch sights of foxes and deer and other wildlife out the corner of my eye. And I pull over for a view, and there's a conveniently placed rock just right for a selfie with the phone. And then I see as I get out of the phone, I've got an email, and I've just sold a box set of books. So I forward it to the the dispatch department. as I ride, my bum isn't sore, my clothes aren't clinging, the bike is in a good mood, 
and time is passing just at the right speed. And then the road descends and I stop to take off a layer of clothing. And local couple come past pushing a bicycle. And the girl's one's broken. And so is her English, but she wants to practice. So I get out my tools and I fix my bike for her. And they insist on sharing their ripe avocados they've just picked. So I share my bread and we eat their avocados. And we talk about the beauty of the planet. And the guy has a golden bit of wisdom that I write down for the next book. So there's no Facebook exchange, no name swapping, no photos. It's just a moment in time, and then we leave on our separate ways. So now I need to get some fuel, and it's getting pretty low. So I turn off the ignition, and I freewheel down the hill. And without the engine, I can hear birdsong, and I see a wildcat and lizards, which don't scurry away because they haven't heard my exhaust note. And then I go to a little rustic town, really beautiful, and I see a group of GS riders outside a hotel. They're just getting on their bikes and they're all stabbing at their sat knives and they don't see me as I ride past. And I know they've already missed the best part of the day. So I find fuel and on the counter, they have a fresh loaf. I buy the last one and some salami and tomatoes and cheese. And then I check the oil and my chain and my tire pressure. And just as I'm finished, the BMWs turn up, all noisy and chattery. Again, they don't even notice me, but I notice that one of them has my sticker on their pannier. I smile behind my bandana, start my bike, and they look over, but I just leave. So as I leave the town, there's a bunch of kids hanging out at a bus station, and uh, I see one of them throw something in my direction. So I duck, and it hits a police car coming the other way, and I see the police car's brake lights in my mirror. So now the road's getting faster. And it twists and it predictable horseshoe turns. And I can see round them. And I overtake a truck on the blind bend because I've just bet my life that I've read the road ahead correctly. And the adrenaline pumps. And I'm riding like Rossi. But the scenery becomes so spectacular, I have to slow and take it all in. And then a lone biker comes the other way and waves. And the faith in two-wheel camaraderie is restored. And then I see a dirt road and I pass it. And I think about it, and I slow, and I turn back. And tentatively, I take it, and it takes me to another canyon. It goes through bamboo, and through the bamboo, I can see a panda, and a gorilla, and a tiger. (laughs) And then there's snow-capped mountains and vistas, and a fresh spring to fill up my water bowl. So I stop and take it all in, but it's too early, really, to stop for the day. So I take a paddle in the river. And while my boots are off, I put on my other shoes and take a little walk. And I find a circle of stones and firewood. And it's the only sound is the river. And the sun is beginning to make shadows. And I think, I'd be a fool not to camp here. So I put up the tent. The ground is dead flat. The tent pegs go right in. And I gather some wood and make a fire. And the smoke takes the insects away. And slowly the sky darkens. And I can see the first stars. And then the moon rises and lights up my surroundings. It's bouncing off the mountains I'm hidden in. So I eat my bread and my cheese, brush my teeth, and as I go to undress and get in the tent, I decide I can definitely get a second day out of this pair of underwear. And then, as I turn to around to, un- to zip up the tent, I see a shooting star, and I wish that tomorrow's going to be exactly the same as today was. Wow. So that that's your perfect 
motorcycle adventure fantasy. I mean, I can't believe it. The, the question has like nine words in it. And I mean, how many words did you have for your answer? Uh, 1,081. <laughs> <laughs> Graham. What's the golden chunk of wisdom you got from the, from the guy that, uh, that had that wisdom you wrote down for your other book? Uh, not anything specific, but you know, sometimes you just have a short exchange with someone and they just say something, it just clicks and you just think, man, that's a, a, a really good one that I just repeated today um, was a Polish guy I met and I was telling him about my super cool, well, this was on the road, I think it was in Albania or somewhere. And I was talking about my tent that I bought secondhand off eBay and what a good deal I got and what a lovely tent is, is and it will probably last me the rest of my life. And he said, poor people can't afford to buy cheap shit. And uh, meaning that if you buy cheap stuff, you buy your IKEA furniture, it breaks. And then you've got to replace it. But if you buy something quality, something that's going to last you the rest of your life or 20 years, it's actually cheaper. And I was a golden bit of wisdom, things like that, you know, that you just meet in passing mm. from someone. I love those little interactions. They're great. I'm not sure as I totally subscribe to that, but I mean, I, I certainly get what, what you're saying with that. But I mean, by the way, you know, that's a, that's a great little story that you wrote there, but you're, you're perfect uh, motorcycle adventure. I, I really like it. And, and what I hear in that is something that I was thinking about at the start of this and something that hasn't been mentioned yet. It's serendipity. Because isn't that part of it? Like I mean, every, everything you wrote there about your perfect adventure, it's all serendipity, isn't it? Definitely. It's a, but yeah, it's getting in the zone, isn't it? It's not pushing something that doesn't need pushing. It's just mm-hmm. managing. And, and it takes ages. And even when you're in it, you can get out of it again. And, and even in your story there, that what you, you sort of point out without saying it is that it's, it's in the mindset, right? I mean, you got to have the mindset for it, for, for the perfect motorcycle adventure. I mean, two people can go on the same adventure and have a completely different time. And you're saying, you know, about the, how you're, you're sort of focused on one thing. Other people are focused on other things. Again, serendipity and mindset. Definitely. I mean, I remember um, there's a guy called uh, Gabe Bolton uh, in the UK. And he did a very similar trip to my 2010 trip uh, through Mongolia into Siberia. Uh, he did it the year earlier. And I, I saw him do a presentation in uh, uh, an HU thing that he did. And he loved Russia. I mean, just had so much fun, the people and, and the experiences he had. Whereas I really didn't have a good time with Russia. I didn't enjoy it at all. Whereas Kazakhstan, instantly rated as one in my top three favorite countries and just had such a good time. And he didn't have a good thing to say about Kazakhstan. And it started when he crossed the border and he got hassled. He had some nasty immigration officer and right at the beginning, it left a bad taste, and he went through the rest of the country with that negativity, with that mindset. And so, for me, one of the best experiences with Kazakhstan, for him, one of the worst, and vice versa with Russia. So, like you say, it's very much about mindset, and, and that mindset can be changed. It only takes one arsehole to ruin your day, really. And uh, if that happens, yeah, your days are going to be... And, and it, equally, it only takes one person to wave to suddenly improve it, I think. Mm. Well, and also the way you respond to it. I mean, you can run into somebody who gives you a hard time and, and depending on how you look at it, will will totally change the rest of your day. And sometimes it's tough not to react to it, but uh, it certainly affects the rest of your day. I remember, I don't know, 
Sorry, go on, Sam. Uh, this morning, Birgit and I were out for our early morning walk, and every single person that we came across, and there weren't that many, let's say 10, every single person looked up, smiled, and waved at us. And that was the first day in all of these months that every single person has done that. And when I sat down at my desk this morning, I had such a big grin, and I was so ready to get on with it, just because of that brilliant way to start the day. It does make a difference, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely. Yeah. And as we've said before, I always think of, um, you got to think of it yourself too. You got to take responsibility for your, for your own mood. I remember I used to put a sign up on the wall there at, uh, at the shop to remind others about this because we had some people who would come in in bad moods and you got to be responsible for your mood because your mood affects all kinds of other people and all kinds of other people's days, which then, you know, sort of goes out just like that ripple effect. Yeah. There was a, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I haven't told you this story before. I was down in Texas and, um, We'd, uh, I was with a friend who snorted, so we had separate rooms in this motel. And he sleeps in. I'd woken up early. And I'm sitting there, and I'm surfing through the TV channels. And it was a Sunday morning, so it was God TV on every channel. And there was one of these uh, TV preachers. I forget his name now, but he was a big guy. You know, he, he broadcast to arenas full of people. And uh, having surfed right through all the channels twice, there was nothing else to watch. And so I was watching this guy, because he was quite charismatic. And he was saying, this, the little bit of preaching that I caught, he was in the shopping mall with his wife, and, uh, or he was trying to get a parking space in the, in the parking lot of the shopping mall. And uh, he was waiting for this space to come, and the car reversed out. And as he was about to go in, a car came from the other direction and took his space. And he was really pissed off. And he wanted to get out and he yelled at the guy. And he's saying, he said, but then I remember, I'm a pastor, you know, and I can't do this. And he said, and then I thought to myself, you can take my parking space, but you can't take my joy. And it just kind of resonated. And I thought that's really true. You know, every household cuts you up. Everybody gives you some a bad attitude or anything. It's like if you let them take your joy, they've won. It's easier said than done. But it was always a good thing to bear in mind, you know. <laughs> Too right it is. And, you know, the, the another, other thing next door to my um, perfect ride comment was attitude. Uh, our attitude as as overlanders. If we're positive and respectful, then my goodness, the opportunities just don't, they flow, don't they? Um, one of my favorite sayings is, is also about having an open mind when we're traveling, because that can make such a, a difference to a perfect motorcycle adventure, can't it? And I was book signing at, motor, at the um, London Motorcycle Show. And when I wandered down the corridor um, on the way in one morning, there was a poster on the wall and it said, a closed mind is like having a parachute that doesn't open. Um, and I thought, wow, that's just brilliant. It's so true, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I was, gonna, I was thinking earlier, as we've been talking about this, uh, about preparing for a trip. And part of the preparation is to read people's stories, read their books, read their blogs, whatever. But the more you read, the more you see where people go wrong and where they go right. And I think the more you read and, and the more you get into the mindset of travel and the more you integrate into your own way of thinking, the different results that you get from different ways of interacting with people, the more relaxed and more comfortable you're going to be as you get into interactions with other people and strange cultures yourself. You're more prepared to react positively rather than an immediate, oh, this is weird and I'm going to get angry. It's more, oh, okay, this is the way they do it and that's fine. And to respond positively. And that goes right back to what Sam's just saying. You know, don't let them win. It's, it's up to you to keep your own 
positivity, your own joy, your own happiness, and to keep going. Like we've said millions of times about border crossings, it's all about how you approach it. It's either going to be shit or it's going to be really entertaining. You have to decide how you're going to feel. So I think the same thing goes with everything. And the more you read and the more you integrate other people's thinking and thoughts and experiences, the easier it's going to be to have a positive experience. It's mm-hmm. true. In fact, you know, you can almost anticipate some of these blogs, what the reaction is going to be, you know, as, they yes. sort of, <laughs> as they've explained. You know, I told the border guard, you are not looking in my pan. You see, like, oh, well, you're not going to be anywhere for a few days, are you? <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other, thing is, the other thing is holding a grudge, too. You know, if, look, we're, we're not going to have Utopia like you described um, all the time, but I, I think, um, you know, you've got to have a bad experience. Well, get over it. Move on. Just yeah. don't think about it. Otherwise, it's, it's going to ruin your day. It's going to ruin your month. It's going to ruin the country, as you described with that guy in, in Kazakhstan, you know. Uh, but, you know, just move on and, you know, the, the, you know get on the bike, uh, leave all those troubles behind and move on to the next adventure. To a degree, I think, Brian, but, you know, I travel alone and my grudges keep me company. <laughs> Gives them a conversation. Because well, nobody else will talk to you, Graham, because you're feeling grumpy. <laughs> the question is, Graham, when you're talking these things in your head, how many people are actually in there talking with you? <laughs> well, they don't, well, they they don't, don't all answer that. <laughs> There's definitely two, but are there more? <laughs> <laughs> they change their voices. <laughs> that's <laughs> creepy. I'm, if they're really changing like their voices, that's creepy. <laughs> Graham, I really like your story because there were just so many positives. And I bet we were all sitting here. And most listeners are going to be sitting there with big grins on their face as they go through all of those items that you ticked off. I don't off. know. I don't know. The, the things, most of those things have happened. I kind of went through a day. And most of those things have happened. Of course, they don't all happen at once. But um, they're all positive things that, that occur on the road. You seriously wear your underwear more than one day. You look at them at night and then decide you're going to wear them oh, more than one day. Well, well, if, you, if it hasn't been too hot, you know, if you had a wash in the morning in a river and there's another chance to do it in the evening, you could definitely get a second. You know, the thing is, like, I may have worn my underwear more than one day in a row, but I would never tell anyone that I've done that. That just makes the day a little bit better, Jim. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to him, sure. <laughs> Anyone else? The, the makings of a, of a perfect motorcycle adventure? I want to know where Graham rode past the pandas. <laughs> yeah. <I do. laughs> you know, so, although most of these things have happened, um, obviously, they, yeah. let's say they never happened the same day. And as I'm getting towards the end, I thought, Basically, I'm writing fiction. <laughs> Don't you have a T-shirt that says something about not reading fiction or something? Yeah, right. To dream about reading fiction. <laughs> I know. I've done it before. You, I mean, the only limitations are your imagination. And then that one, I thought, oh, well, one in what's what I'd like to see. I thought, well, a panda or oh, a gorilla would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as we were talking about there, I was saying serendipity and mindset, uh, making the perfect adventure. And of course, that doesn't matter if it's a long or a short trip. But it, does anyone disagree with the serendipity comment? No. No, not no. So, at all. I've said that many, many times. You got to be open for serendipity. Like the people that plan a trip to the nth degree, you're supposed to be in X tomorrow. Well, yes, but this person's just told you about this wonderful place just down the road. Well, of course you need to check it out. So don't lock your 
trip in so tight that you don't make room for serendipity. Mm. Be open. Yeah. When you take your own food with you and you turn down a meal you've been offered or or, or a homestay because you need to go to an internet cafe, yeah, you've got to be you've got to be flexible with those things. Yeah, so, yeah. so in a way, like I was saying, serendipity and mindset. In, in a way, serendipity is mindset. You know, it, it's having sure. that open mind and and like you're saying, Grant. You know, maybe the open schedule as well, where yeah. you sort of go with the flow, allow the the things to come and, and experience them. Yeah, I think being open to experience, being open to change, being open to doing something new and different is absolutely critical. And that's what it's all about. That's what makes the trip is you're going to be seeing new and different things and allowing that to happen and allowing yourself to feel it and enjoy it and experience it. That's what it's all about. Mm. What about weather, Brian? What about weather? How, how does that affect you for, for the perfect motorcycle adventure? Does it have to be sunny and hot? No, it doesn't have to be sunny and hot, but it's no use being uh, completely miserable as well. And we plan our trips around the weather a lot. Uh, We've described it before, going to the Isle of Man. You know, if we'd have ridden from Australia to the Isle of Man, to make it on that time frame would have been, you know, the weather would have been against us. Torrential rains in the tropics and snow going across mountains. So weather does play a part, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Like yesterday was... Um, for some people, it was um, probably a little bit chilly, a little bit of misty rain. But for me, it was, okay, fine, just get out and ride it and ride to the conditions. And it's good for your riding skills, actually, to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I find that um, any day like that, you know, the day changes. You know, you might start out, and as Graham described, it would be a beautiful morning, but, you know, your clouds will come in at night. And that's the other thing. You, if you've got the right gear, it doesn't matter. Nowadays, riding gear is so good. I'm just looking at um, a photo of um, uh, Robert uh, Filton Jr., who rode um, uh, his um, Douglas, a 1930 Douglas, across to Tokyo. Some of you might have uh, re- remember his book. I'm just rereading that book right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wonderful book and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a photo of his of his uh, of his Douglas and. Uh, you know, how he was set up and he's, he's wearing a pair of shorts um, and uh, knee-length boots. He's got a pith helmet. And, you know, he's he's got a, an extra petrol tank on the back, I think, which holds yeah. an extra four litres or something. Four, four gallons, four gallons on the back. And, you know, he's got a steel skid plate, uh, which is where he, he kept his gun. Hides his gun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question we've never covered before. Where do you hide your, your guns when from border crossing? We'll have to do that one time. Apparently. <laughs> he, he carried, he carried 4,000 feet of um, uh, film to film his adventure. The whole of his the, top yeah. box was full of film film and, uh, and camera. Yeah, <laughs> Graham, Graham and this that's guy right. are definitely kindred spirits because I tell you what, that guy had no spare sets of underpants with him. He had a spare yeah. shirt. But his, his whole planning for this trip was two weeks. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a passing comment to um, uh, 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 a function in um, England where he was trying to impress a lady and sitting next to him was the guy who made Douglas motorcycles and said, I'll give you a motorbike if you're going to travel across the world on the motorbike. And that's how it started. Two yeah. weeks planning and off he went. And those two weeks were mainly getting maps, looking at maps uh, and, uh, and, and uh, figuring out a route. It was... Uh, 
He and probably had a hell of a GPS, though. And having, having <laughs> the bike to decide how he wanted. Yeah. 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 yeah, great GPS. The sun rises in the east. Has <laughs> <laughs> has the attitude changed? You know, like the, the two girls who rode across America. Um, just trying. That was in nineteen sixteen. I'm not just trying to think what their names were. Um, Augusta and Adeline Van Buren, I think it was. Yes, Van Buren. Yeah, in, in, and they got arrested for wearing men's clothes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the modern changed. world. The modern world means that those sorts of adventures are virtually impossible now. To well, yeah. to just the the whole deal of carnets and visas and apply how many days before you get there. You can only stay so many days. You know the the um, the world has changed, but you can still have the same philosophy. But you do have to do some planning just. So you can get from A to B. Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent point. You know, it's funny. You made me think of a, a friend of mine who who often will say stuff like uh, one of his comments uh, often is, is, you know, he'll tell someone uh, how to buy a house. He says, oh, it's really easy. You just go to somebody who's selling it and get them to take back the mortgage. And then you start your payments with them. And, and it's like, that doesn't work anymore. This the, the, the world has changed. You know, you can no longer do that. Very, very unlikely anyway, that you're going to find somebody to do this. There's credit checks and all kinds of other things that people want to do. There's it's just a different world, but, um, but you can have the mindset of going and trying to, to get a deal, you know, or, or trying to, to work something. And so I, I like what you're saying there, but I was going to say, Graham, back to you with, with that, that perfect adventure. Okay. And you had perfect weather and everything on it. Would that still be a perfect adventure if you would say hit a side road and ended up dropping your bike and had just a hell of a time pushing the thing through and then finally getting to your destination at the end all muddy and have a good shower and everything and have that as one of those those memories, you know, that that's something you've overcome. Would, would that still have the same ring to it as a perfect adventure for you? Well, of course that's true. You know, I'm wishing on that shooting star. It makes it highly unlikely that the day is, day is going to repeat the next day. So, of course, there's going to, you know, you're going to run out of fuel. There's, there's going to be endless things that can go wrong and do go wrong. And it's true, they make the memories. And um, I mean, you don't actually set out in the morning and think, I really hope I get a flat tire today. <laughs> <laughs> it happens and you deal with it. And that, I, I, the, 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 like Grant said, uh, the single most, or oh, not most important, but the single best thing you can have in your favor is no time limits because mm-hmm. then everything can be dealt with without a stress. Everything, as we said before, will get fixed if there's enough time. Uh, if you're stressing for a ferry or a visa or getting back to work, then perhaps, you know, you haven't got time for serendipity and you're going to have to find another way. But if you've got time on your side, everything else just falls into place. Does anyone think that... um that culture comes into the, the perfect adventure, people, connections, maybe vistas, um, scenery, that sort of thing. Does anyone think that that's part of the perfect adventure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of no, course. That doesn't matter at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my comment on that was their personal preferences. Some yep. people just want to ride. Some want to experience the culture and could care less about the writing. Some want the scenery. Some want every museum there is or every church there is. And some want to sit on a beach. An old friend of mine, and I still have a hard time comprehending this, but he says his idea of a perfect vacation is where I just have to reach an arm out and a fresh drink is placed in it. (laughs) (laughs) He's not asking for much. No, he'll sit there for two weeks on the beach and that's what he wants. I can't comprehend it. I couldn't do it. 
But I mean, it's, everybody's it's different. Overlanding, isn't it? Because everybody um, can travel in whatever way they like. There is no perfect way to overland it, because you're not perfect. And what your dreams and ambitions may be may not fall into the perfect category. They may fall into the oddball, unusual. But for you, they are. And that's the beauty of it. We can all be absolutely individual and do it our own way. And I think one of the things that goes so powerfully to making a perfect um, motorcycle adventure is recognizing what desires you actually have as an individual. Yes. Mm. And if you're a couple, making sure yep. both of you understand what the other wants and making compromises as necessary. Or too often I've seen couples heading off and he's got one idea and she's got a completely different idea of what a round-the-world trip is. Mm. And some relationships just don't make it past, mm. oh, let me think, uh, what was it, Bulgaria? I can think of one. That's well, as that's far what, as they got. I was going to say and that um, terrible, what, what, yeah. you guys are saying, <laughs> what you guys are saying is that you got to know your, your own mind sort of before you go. I mean, mm-hmm. understand what you want the trip to be about because yep. that's, that's where the, you know, your, your personal preferences come in. And you can combine those things. Um, you can uh, have really gnarly roads and enjoy the, the rough and ready of that kind of adventure and then have a little break at the beach for a week and laze about on a, on a sun lounge and read the books that are available in the, the backpacker's kitchen or whatever and then get back on the road and get back into it again. Yeah, but culture. Culture sometimes, it's great to be able to experience different cultures. But let me tell you, drinking kava with Fijians is not one of my highlights. It's like drinking mud through a dirty sock. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking raki with the olive olive grower in Greece was a little bit testing on your liver as well. Well, that was the next day. <laughs> but but it's but it's those those experiences though that are often these stories you end up telling over and over again. Same as I was saying with Graham, if he had went in and, and got stuck in the mud and had a, a terrible day of pushing the bike out, those are the stories that you end up telling over and over again. Nobody wants to hear that you sat on the beach for two weeks and were handed a drink every time you get thirsty. Exactly. Yeah, true, true. Gotta have the the difficult adventures to to be a hero, to to have stories to tell. Yeah, and I don't know if that really though is is that the making of the perfect motorcycle adventure? Because even when you look back on those things, we've all had them, you look back on those things, it still hurts when you remember yeah. it. It's not like you go thinking, well, in hindsight, I actually really enjoyed that day of pushing the bike where I hurt my back. That was that was quite fun. <laughs> you know, when I was in, during my cycling days, and uh, I cycled in China for a couple of months in, in winter, in like January and February, in, in the south, Yuan province, and it was really mountainous. And so the skies were beautifully clear. So you got the mountain views all the time. But I was cycling on ice. It was freezing bloody cold. And you'd get to the top of a mountain and you'd be going down the other side, looking forward to the fact that you weren't having to push the pedals. And then all your sweat would freeze on you. And it was just as equally as miserable. And um, it was tough and it was challenging and uh, it was exhausting. And I thought, next year, I'm going to cycle India. I'm going to start in the bottom in, in, in Kerala and I'm going to ride north. I'll only need half as many panniers because I won't need any warm gear. I won't need any camping gear and I won't need any cooking gear. So it's going to be a much lighter and easier trip. And so next year, I went to India, had the bicycle and set off and followed the coast. And it was boring. It was so easy. It was just beach, palm trees. I mean, India is always spectacular, of course, but there was no challenge in terrain, in, in personal stamina. And uh, 
Consequently, it wasn't nearly the, the same feeling of achievement when it was over as there was in the cycling in China. So, yeah, you're right. It, the, the, the harder it is and the more miserable it is, the better stories. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that you know, Shirley hit the nail on the, on the head um, straight away with um, the sun lounger on the beach and reading books. Every so often when you've had those long periods of, of hard graft at a journey, um, that, that holiday from the road is so important, isn't it? Because it gives you the opportunity to just revel in the fact that you've achieved. Um, you can soak it up and get yourself mentally and physically ready for the next section because yeah, all, all journeys have their moments, don't they? They're not yeah. all days are smooth. Yeah, you and get it's tiring. Yeah, absolutely, Grant, you do, because it, it gets tiring. And if you if you don't have a break and recharge your batteries, the more tired you get, the less, you, less fun you're going to have. Yeah, everything what, becomes a chore, doesn't it? What about the yeah, bike? Yeah, What about the bike itself? Does, does that is that part of the perfect adventure for anyone? I mean, I'm not saying oh, the brand God. or anything. It, it has uh, to be comfortable for the girl on the back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know that well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's what you're comfortable with too. You know, I've, yep. I've just been conversing with a, a friend who's uh, ridden his GSXR 1100 from Vladivostok to India. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, but Brian, and, you, you, sorry, but but I was just going to mention though that you guys went on an adventure where you're riding basically scooters um, last time. Yeah, yeah, yep, that's right. And, and look, Cheryl did find. Well, we had the little two fifty in Vietnam, and yeah, she was sitting on the parcel rack, you know, because the seat wasn't long enough, mm-hmm. so she was comfortable. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit of a grill pattern on your butt afterwards, but hey, I was going to say barbecue, bum. <laughs> Shirley's not laughing. Have you noticed, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing on the inside, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit small, wasn't it, for you? Yeah. But look, um, they're just little trips. I mean, for the when you go away for 12 months, you don't want to be sitting on the parcel rack of a 125 or a 250. But, you know, the GS, really, it's so comfortable for me. It, the, they, the days can be long and cold and wet or hot, but because I'm not, you know, hurting my back or my bum or my legs, it's 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 um, easier to handle some of those rougher days. And um, a nice hot shower and a cold beer at the end of those days is also quite exhilarating. That hot shower and the cold beer, does it matter where it is? No. <laughs> Uh, just it's just the accomplishment like sort of at the end of the day it's um there, there's something special about it. i mean you know i'm just thinking about this because you, you can have a hot shower at home you can have a cold beer at home but the way you say it there there's something special about being on a bike trip where you stop have a shower get a cold beer unless you're traveling on a five-star budget then you're not getting a, a good shower every day are you you can sometimes go for three or four days without a shower so when you get one and it's a good one whoa or like when graham changes his underwear i mean that must be a spectacular day <laughs> Fresh under the, wow! <laughs> but you know, riding, riding, riding with a group of mates, you know, you do you, you do a, a nice ride. I've got mates riding uh, Bear Tooth Pass in the US at the moment, and um, yeah, at the end of every day, there's a photo of them sitting around having a chat, having a beer, or just lazing around, and, and what they're reading, reading their stories, and talking to them. They're having an absolute ball. And talk about culture. One of them was at um, uh, Old Faithful in uh, Yosemite and uh, fell asleep, but then got back on his bike and rode. <laughs> of course, no? 
uh, it's horses for courses. And, and, and I think I think relaxing at the end of the day's ride, talking over the day's ride with a group of mates that you've been riding with or just by yourself, reflecting on what you've done during the day is a, is a great feeling. And that could be at home, it could be on the side of the road, it could be in your tent, or it could be in, in a pub with a group of mates. Sam, what about you? Does the bike make a difference? I think I, I started this off by saying a bike you like riding that's in good mechanical order. Uh, and I think that's what the basic comes down to. It's whatever you can afford, whatever you feel comfortable riding, whatever gives you a smile. Um, and yeah, that's in good mechanical working order, unless you're me- um, a natural mechanic, of course. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm saying is like you know you you could you have your RDGS, which I, I think you kind of like. Um, but so, so you've got this bike. <laughs> that's a very British understatement. <laughs> you've got this bike that, that you want to ride everywhere. Would it matter though? I mean, if you went on an adventure, would you be just as happy if you got on this one two five that was given to you there? You know, some some I don't know Chinese name that you've never seen before, or something like that, and went through an amazing area. And, and Graham, the same same question to you, really. You know, would it matter to you? Would you would you pine that oh, this would have been so much better if I was on my KLR or if I was on my R eighty? No, I have been say. on on yeah, I was gonna say I've been on roads. So there was a particular road in Mexico, and I was on the KLR, and it was just these beautiful sweeping bends one after another, and I was having impure Ducati thoughts. Oh man, it would be good <laughs> on a Ducati. <laughs> you know, you're going to find roads which are going to be more suited to different bikes. It's, um, and I often say with the KLR, you know, it's the KLR. Is not so much an exciting bike to ride. What's exciting is it will take you anywhere, and and it's good at doing it. Some bikes won't take you past that panda park. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that I like the R eighty GS so much is that it it literally will go anywhere. There is nowhere that I have needed to go that that bike has not taken me. And yeah, okay, really thick mud and really soft sand. Then she's been a bit of a cow to ride, but that's been such a small percentage of all of the miles that she has done. But you know, Birgit and I were in um, Vietnam and when we were flying in, the aim was that we were going to get some 125 um, Russian Minsk trail bikes and we were going to head off and because we wanted to do a whole mix of whatever Vietnam could offer us. And as we were flying in, we just thought, actually, what are the most ridiculous bikes that we could get for this sort of riding, this mix? And we ended up on 125cc automatic scooters and we smiled every day because these bikes were just brilliant for Vietnam, um, for the speed limits, for the road conditions, and even riding them off-road was an interesting challenge. All right, they weren't perfect for off-road, but they certainly coped. And probably some of the roads that we were on, they coped better than my R80GS would have done. So uh, to me, it's it's the most important thing is having two wheels with an engine that you like riding that's in good mechanical order. And just go, have fun, love it. Soak up the freedom. I like that. I'd be so glad you didn't choose the Minsk as well. Yeah. (laughs) The Minsk reliability record is... On a scale of one to a hundred, where a hundred is good, they're about a minus a one hundred. <laughs> so they not are so the good. worst. <laughs> so not recommended at all. So you made a perfect choice. Obviously in play. Well, yeah. I've seen pictures of the. Uh, there was a thing in women in China were riding these little step through scooters up this ridiculous mountain trail. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw and, that. And it was fantastic. Those little things will go just about anywhere. And if you get into trouble, you pick it up and move it. Mm. not a problem and I, I'm reminded of that very much riding my DRZ 400 around I would I'd go down trails without even thinking about it that I wouldn't even dream about on my 1200 yeah, yeah it's 
possible if you're a super rider and you're young and you're fit and you don't mind dropping it all over the place, but it's not going to be fun. Whereas on the 400, it's lots of fun. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's, you have to choose the bike that is going that suits you, your mindset, your style of riding, what you want to do, where you want to go, and, and what sort of an experience you want. I mean, I can see a, a young guy um, going off on an adventure with a buddy and taking small dirt bikes that are street legal, of course, um, and having a great adventure. Whereas those same two guys on a 1200 might not have nearly as much fun because they can't go to the gnarly, nasty places that they really want to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody a little older might want the 1200 and could care less about the little tiny trail that you can barely see that there is a trail. They're not going to go down there. There's no point. So pick the bike that suits your experience. If you haven't got any dirt riding experience, you might not want a dirt bike because it's going to go places you really aren't able to go. Um, pick the bike that's going to work for you and do the kind of trip that you dream about. You know, when you have these thoughts in your mind about what what is my fantasy trip, how do you see yourself carving through some bends on a Ducati or going through some gnarly, mud, muddy bits where you're spending half your time pushing or picking up the bike and dragging it out of the mud hole. Well, I think you're going to get some reality in, in there too because you might see yourself on that that machine that you saw on the ad buzzing through the mud, but <laughs> that may not be the reality of it. Yeah, absolutely. You've yeah. got to have that big dose of reality because some of that stuff is a whole lot harder than it looks. Now, extra said- riders do some amazing stuff, but that's not you and it's not me. And Kenyans should be prepared to walk. Yes. <laughs> I have walked some of the most interesting roads in um, South America and uh, Africa in particular, uh, some in Tajikistan. Uh, in the mud and the sand. In the mud, yeah. the sand. Yeah, you just have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Ryan's walking adventure. I like that. <laughs> no, not Ryan's walking adventure. Well, I meant he Shirls. was running it is what I was saying. You know, he's, he's sort of showing this is where you're going to walk, Shirley. <laughs> I'll meet you at the other end. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It depends what you want to do with your bike, and that's uh, I, I know Graham likes uh, bagging GSs, but they are a jack of all trades and master of none, and they will go and take you most places, um, depending on skill level. But you know, any bike, any bike will do it. That's what I was getting to. The point was with the guy with these GSXR. He loved riding that bike. So you just put some um, tra- universal trail tyres on it and rode across Mongolia. Well, why not? Yeah, why absolutely. Not? Why? Well, look yeah, at Jacques right. Lucas. And- yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This yeah. is one of the things that I, I have on my uh, mental to-do list, and it, it may never happen, but hey, who knows? Um, I would like to go around the world again, but without my own bike. I like having my own bike because I can set it up exactly how I like to ride it. So riding position, suspension, um, the luggage that fits and all the little nooks and crannies, that 3D jigsaw puzzle thing, and that I get to know the bike. So I love all of that and I wouldn't change what I've done for anything. But I kind of like the idea of having some flexible luggage and flying between continents. And when I get to each next continent, buying whatever the locals are using, throwing my luggage on the back, and just heading off and just, yeah, doing what the locals do. And the beauty of that, of course, is if it's local bikes, then you've got 
spare parts really easy to be got hold of. You've got mechanical knowledge really easy to be able to get hold of, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many advantages of doing that. And of course, no shipping costs and no carnets and all of that sort of stuff. It's not such a daft idea, is it? Grant, I bet there are people who've already done it. Yes, absolutely. I was just thinking there was a guy, oh, somewhere around 2002 or so, he said that my idea of a way to go around the world, and he promptly did it and did very well and had a great time, was no motorcycle more than $500. Mm-hmm. So he would yeah. just ride until he got to a border where they wouldn't let him take it in without a carnet, and he would donate or sell it to somebody local and walk across the border and buy another one. Mm-hmm. And his his co- total cost around the world was something around $4,000 for motorcycles. Great. That's not bad. Yeah, it's great. Fantastic. You, know, you take any new bike, it's going to depreciate more than that. Yeah. Let, let me wrap this up then um, be, and, because we've got something else that we want to talk about here. But um, the question is, what are the makings of the perfect motorcycle adventure? And, and I think what we've got here, well, obviously it has to be two wheels, something you enjoy. Serendipity, or at least the mindset of serendipity, rather than two separate things, the mindset for serendipity to allow it to, to happen. And I guess the other thing was was knowing what you want, knowing what your trip is about in your mind before you go. And of, co- of course, making that clear with whoever else you're riding with, if you're riding with any, anyone else. Does that sort of sum it up? Do you think we've done it there? I think, yeah. And also knowing that every day is not going to be perfect. Uh, mm. I think perhaps some people saving up uh, think that every day is wonderful on the road and it's not. It's bloody hard work. And some of the more negative reactions I get from my books, from my journeys, are, um, oh, he moans a lot. And it's like, well, it's shit a lot at a time. <laughs> don't, don't expect every day to be perfect. I think you've got to be prepared for that. Living the dream can be a bloody nightmare sometimes. Yeah, that's a metaphor for life, isn't it, really? <laughs> and they, yeah. and, and you, you may never find the road past the Panda Park. <laughs> right. Well, let's take a quick break here and move into what we've got after this. But um, this this uh, episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Now, Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, and they work with companies um, through sort of team building exercises, but but much more than that as well to inspire, motivate, challenge, build communication skills. And, and I think they do it on a, a very high level, m- much higher than than what those old team building things were, uh, where people actually, that's that's how they started out doing those, those old team building things, doing them with Land Rovers. Um, but now they do all kinds of things, all different activities with companies. And uh, as I mentioned before, they, they deal with companies like Mars and Pfizer, um, Yahoo, Comic Relief. But for motorcyclists, for motorcyclists, um, they have something very special. And the, the website, as I said, is freshtracks.co.uk. Now I want you to add a forward slash adventure space. So adventure space is the extension basically after the page. Freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. And what they've got is an area that you can camp, that you can stay in a cabin or you can camp in your tent and you can ride on their property. Now where they're located is in the UK, very close to London. And um, apparently right from their from their property, they've got a whole bunch of green lanes close by to ride and, and explore there. So you can go check out your gear, maybe um, try things out. Dan, the owner of Fresh Tracks, is, a, is really into riding. And um, of course, that's why he's sponsoring the show. And he's set this thing up just for people like you. If you're interested in, in going and, and checking out his facility, freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. And of course, mention that you, you heard him here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. So 
on to our our uh, our next thing here, our next topic, and really it's our last thing we're going to talk about today, which are rules. What are some of the rules, your own rules, that you you stick by when you're on a trip? Now, this could be like packing, you know, for instance, uh, well, one just pops into my mind. Packing, for instance, I don't put liquids in, in panniers. I just don't do it. To me, it's it's the last thing I want. That's a rule. Um, you might have rules for border crossings, for accommodations. I'm, I'm hoping to hear some of those. Dealing with police or other officials. I, I know, Sam, you probably have some for that. Um, using internet, security issues. That That's a big deal. And carrying cash is sort of rules. Not, not We don't have to, you know, talk about everything to do with it, but I'm, I'm thinking little rules that pop into your head when it comes to travel. The border crossings is my favourite. Always smile at the man with the AK-47 <laughs> and always smile at the man who has the stamp that will get you into the country you would like to visit. Does that work? Yeah. Oh, not often, but no, it does. No, it does. <laughs> but it makes you feel better anyway, doesn't it, Shirley? It, it makes you feel better, but also, as we've discussed so many times, you walk into a border to the um, customs area or the immigration area and you, you're shitty and you're grumpy and you growl at them and you complain about how long it takes, it's just going to make it worse. But you walk in and you smile and you say good morning and you try and stumble your way through some words in, in the local language and you're going to have a much better day of it. Yeah, your border crossings, but also um, being prepared to wait all day. You know, arrive early, take take the day, and anything short of a day is a bonus. Mm. That's that's the attitude we always took. So, to so your rule for that, Brian, would be to always show up. Like anytime you do a border crossing, you're showing up early. That's your rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a rule. I, I, I will um, stop, you know, 50K short of the border for the day if it's a we'll call it an early day and get all our paperwork prepared, make sure we've got everything we need and um, not show up there ad hoc and, you know, just go with the flow. You get there early and you get through it. Um, and I think the longest we've waited is about six hours, I think, sure. Yeah. That'd be about right. That was very rare. Yeah, it's rare. That's rare. Um, and one of the other rules that I, I have is – at the end of the day, um, if you're coming into a town and you're going to stay in a hostel or whatever, fill up your bike. We got caught out in, uh, was it on Route of 40 in Chile or Argentina? Um, we came into a town mid-afternoon, thought, oh, yeah, this is a nice little town. We'll stop here for the night. And um, There was it, a queue at the petrol station, was. so we thought, oh, we'll fuel up in the morning, breaking our own rule. And yeah. of course, in the morning there was no petrol left. Everyone, everyone <laughs> to me as well. And, yeah, and so we had to horrible. wait. Had to wait two days um, for the petrol tanker to arrive, yeah. and just then got in the queue with everyone else and waited patiently for a couple of hours. Of yeah, yeah, but we got it. But the, the, we, the, we always fill up as well because exactly the same reason. But also when you when you're setting off in the morning. You've not got to face hunting for a petrol station or or standing in a queue or anything else. Just get up and go. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Day off with a smile, isn't it? But you you think about about where you are. You know, like uh, down down there in Argentina, the roads are really rough, so the big petrol tankers can't get through to these small towns. So they've got to be small petrol tankers, and um, that means that the the fuel stations can't carry and, and store as much fuel. So it's it's really important that you do that. Yeah, and I find I find when I get up in the morning and get all loaded up, get all my gear on, I'm really ready to ride, and then I got to go to a gas station and take half of it off again in order to yeah. get sorted, and then put it all back on again. Yep. 
Yeah. It's not a good way to start the day. It's much nicer to just get yourself organized at the hotel, sort it out, ready to ride, everything's comfortable, and go. Much better. I mean, something that fits in with this is also, um, we always check our bike frames and so on um, when we've had a, um, a bumpy day. We sort of get in, hotel room, put the tent up, whatever else it is, kettle on. So we're making a cup of tea, the panniers are off the bikes and we'll just sit there and we'll go around the whole bikes and we'll be looking for loose nuts and bolts and that sort of thing. And one day I discovered that I'd cracked the subframe on the bike and it would have been a right mess if I'd been riding the next day's really, really gnarly road had I not discovered that break, break in the subframe because, yeah, it, well, it could have thrown me off and that would have been that. So we always check. Is that, is that a BMW thing, Sam, where you, you've got to check all your bolts and they all shake loose? Hang on a second. Um, um, I, I lost sound then for a second. Yes, yeah, so did we. So did we. Yeah, it was, it was terrible, wasn't it? Um, but the other thing about doing that is when you're settling into a new place and there are other people around, people will come and talk to you when you're on your bike, working on your bike. And some of the best conversations start up. Oh, you should go and try this restaurant. Or when you're here, while you're here, you must go and look at this place. This house is fantastic. Go and talk to that lady. And it's all because you've been sitting working on your bike and people have got something that they can come to you and start the conversation about where have you come from, how big's your bike, et cetera, et cetera. And then it rolls into all these other opportunities. So it's a, it's a double whammy um, must do. Graham, how about you? You you got rules? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just don't um, like the sound of that, do you? Rules. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to think. I mean, all the things you listed. Uh, yeah, I, I, one of the things I'm pretty good at is making sure I've got always got water, uh, a couple of liters of water. And again, as a solo rider, you can be quite organised. You can get a routine going quite easily. And that breaks when you suddenly find yourself riding with someone else. And the assumption that someone else has done something, which they haven't, and then all of a sudden you find neither one of you have got water or, or you're both, I don't know, whatever. You know, as a, as a solo rider, you can be quite calculated, quite methodical. And, and the second you get out of that routine, it can, uh, it can fall apart. And I think that's probably where I come unstuck the most is mm. when I find myself in the company of other riders because – I, you know, I, I, I ride at a, a quite a slow pace and I stop a lot. And all of a sudden, when you're having to change your daily schedule and your own riding skills to fit in with someone else, that's when I sort of break my own rules because I'm having to compromise and, and accommodate somebody else. So the, the rules are, are basic, uh, you know, like, like you listed. And, um, <laughs> remember you've got your vehicle documents remember to take your passport back from the guy who checked it see now that's a rule for you that others may not have <laughs> I mean because it, you know it's funny with these rules is is that usually it's because you've learned it through um, a trial and error you know you, you've done something you've got burned usually more than once at least if you guys are anything like me it takes me a couple of times and what I find with my rules is that anytime I, I break my rule, I seem to get stung by it. And it's the one time. And of course, if, you, if you're trying to explain it to somebody, you just look like somebody's trying to make excuses. You're saying, normally I would never set my wallet on the back of the bike. I don't understand why I did that. And then I rode down the road and I lost my wallet. Like, I know it's stupid, but I, I never do that. And that's my rule and everything, you know. 
It's those things. Always take the drugs out of my top box before I go through a board. Yeah. I mean, that's just like a given. Of course I would. <laughs> One of our rules is we always check really thoroughly where we're putting our tent. Um, and it sounds like such a simple thing to say, but we've learned this the hard way. Uh, in Malawi, for example, we were really tired and it was stinking hot. And our main thought was get the tent up somewhere where it's shady. And all of our usual rules just went out of the window because we were after that shade. And we woke up in the middle of the night. There'd been a heavy rainstorm up in the mountains and we put the tent up in a gully. It was a lovely shady spot. But we were very, very lucky not to get washed down into Lake Malawi. (laughs) Um, And the other thing is we always peg our tent out properly because you never know what's going to happen during the night. And when you're not watching weather forecasts and all this sort of stuff, then you don't know that there's a storm rolling in. So we always um, peg it out properly. Um, there's one night in the trip that we did in Norway. What a good thing that we did that. Um, our tent was the only tent left standing in the morning. And this was a full camping site. And some tents have just completely disappeared. Wow. So, yeah, always check where you put in your tent properly. I mean, I made a mistake when I was at um, Overland Expo one year. And I, I, I felt so stupid because everybody was watching me. Um, and I felt really uncomfortable because everybody was watching me. And what did I do? I went to put my tent up underneath a tree. And when I eventually finished putting it up, I looked up. There's a load of blooming dead branches that were straight above <laughs> me, weren't there? <laughs> yeah. Did I feel an idiot or what? I uh, I was really proud of myself when I wrote back from the UK last month and I was wild camping. And uh, there was the sort of motorway services slash ex-border control on the German-Czech Republic border. And there was enough places to, to sort of wild camp. And uh, again, you know, I wanted somewhere out of sight. And the, the most attractive bushes, the places which looked like the best place to pitch tent, there were little flags of white toilet paper. And that's where everybody had gone, jumped out of their cars to go and well, do what they do. And, and I thought, actually, I want a more place more in the open because that's where people aren't going to use it as a bathroom so mm. i was quite pleased myself for figuring that one out before i pitched my tent in a pile of poo yeah <laughs> find it in the morning it's, i always used to tell people on trips when i'm when i'm guiding trips is that uh, this was back in the day when everybody used to, to dig and bury their waste i would tell them if it, you know at, at spots that are popular if you find a perfect spot you can guarantee somebody else has already found that spot particularly in the sand and you want to be careful where you're digging <laughs> yeah Grant, how about you for rules? Oh, I've got a few. Um, one of them that is, is imposed on me by Susan, and that's never let it get below half a tank. Mm-hmm. And that we learned in the Atacama, sort of. Um, we were in a t- on the Atacama heading north. There's a map, and the map has lots of little towns on it. But none of those little towns actually have gas. So we were leaving a fairly major town. And I said, oh, we've got three quarters of a tank. We're fine. We're good. We don't need to fill up. Um, we'll get gas a couple of miles down the road or you know, a few towns down the road. And we kept looking for a gas station. And no gas station. Next town, no gas station. Next town, no gas station. Oh, dear. Next town, no gas station. <laughs> this is not looking good. And then the bike coughed and died mm. out in the middle of nowhere. We're in the middle of the Atacama. And as soon as this. You ran us out of gas. Start beating on me. <laughs> no, we can't be out of gas. We can't be out of gas. The trip meter says we got gas left. We should be fine. And I stop and pull over. And yeah, okay. What is going on? I look in the t- inside. 
there's gas. Then how come it died? Oh, this is not good. And then I noticed that the, I run a, out of the fuel tap, coming out the bottom, I run a piece of line to a fuel filter in a loop. And the loop catches most of the grot before it gets to the filter and then into the carburetor. And the loop had popped up so that now the high point of the line was three inches from the bottom of the tank, which is about what the fuel level was. <laughs> okay, so pop it back in and we're all good and says good, but we are never running below half a tank again, ever. Understood? Right. Yes, dear. <laughs> and can, is, how many years ago was, Grant, how many years ago was that? It was 97. Um, does Susan still raise it occasionally? Um, it's been mentioned that it's time to get gas, yes. Correct. <laughs> you can never, ever live that one down. No. No. <laughs> no, but that's, that's definitely one of our rules. Um, another one, um, food. Always be an opportunistic shopper. If you see it and you might want it at some point, get it now. And that doesn't just hold for food, but primarily for food because this market has food and the next market you get to three hours later is closed and everybody's gone home because they've all done their shopping early in the morning. So there is no food to buy in the market. You got to go into the grocery store yeah. or so-called grocery store, which means you stand in line and get to the person behind the counter and then try and communicate in a language they don't speak at all. And they go and find something that you think might be what you're looking for. Uh, no, that's not good. So That rule could be sort of applied to a bunch of things, couldn't it? Like if you everything. look at that rule everything. saying, saying grab what is, you know, is opportunistic rather than looking for the perfect one. And I, and I think Graham, yes. you said this before about campsites, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of kick yourself when you have a campsite and you find one just down the road, that's even better, but you're still better off to grab that campsite because it's getting late in the day or it shouldn't be getting late in the day, but it's late afternoon, let's say, and you're getting your campsite, you pick a good campsite and stick with it rather than holding on. Oh, another one will show up. Yeah, I absolutely cheaper. agree with that. And, and yeah. Graham's just explained why that's such a good idea because when you roll into another camping spot, it, you may have those little mountains with yeah. white flags on yeah. that you, yeah. you don't see in the semi-dark. Well, it also holds for buying stuff. Um, I remember, again, this was in uh, Chile. Uh, I was riding, or no, Ecuador, I think it was. We were, I was riding with Max, who was a rider from Italy on 1100 GS at that time. And he needed a front tire desperately. And I said, well, no, sorry, it was a rear tire. He needed a rear tire desperately. I said, we should buy the tire here. So we went into the uh, local BMW dealer and, yep, they had a tire, $250. Max was a little bit perturbed at that. Says, there's no way I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pay that price. That's ridiculous. That's twice what it is at home. Well, yes, but it's there. He said, nope, not going to buy it. I'm going to go to the duty-free at the border. Okay. You know, it's your bike, your tire. So we went to the duty free, and yep, they had tires that were cheaper. All right, the fattest one they had was a three fifty seventeen. Mm. That doesn't quite work on a twelve hundred GS. But guess what? He had to buy it and put it on and run it because that was all there was. Yeah. And guess what? It was one hundred and seventy five dollars. <laughs> so quite he didn't savings. save a lot. Mm -hmm. He's got a tire that's crap, way too small. It's a junk tire anyway, made God knows where. And because it's too small, he's just going to end up forcing himself to replace it early. Oh, yeah. He's got to replace it very early. It's the yeah. next big BMW dealer. He's going to have to pay the price. Yeah. So, yeah, don't try and cheap out too much. Um, if you're going to need it, just pay the price. That's part of the price of traveling. And, you know, there's always going to be people say, well, yeah, but I'm on a budget. Yes, I know you're on a budget. 
but it's going to be a lot worse if it all goes wrong or you end up like Max did with the, the wrong tire at a terrible price anyway. You know, if you see it, you know you're going to need it, buy it. Susan with, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, eye drops for her contact lenses. She had a lot of trouble. So we would stock up. We'd buy like literally eight bottles of the stuff and stash it somewhere because they had it. And the last three countries didn't. So you got to buy what you need now. Don't, don't pass it by. Mm-hmm. So that's a big rule for us. The same goes for that um, T-shirt or trinket you can't live without because the next town you go to won't sell them. Nope. Yep. Nope. I'm then reminded of Costa Rica. With- <laughs> yeah. you know, we were in Costa Rica and saw these wonderful little, I don't know, sort of wagons uh, that were paint- all painted up really pretty and, and really spoke Costa Rica to us. And we thought, oh, we should buy one of those. You know, they had, they had little models of them, you know, little ones that you could send home. I thought, nah, it's kind of bulky and it's kind of expensive. And we didn't buy one. Years later, we were back in Costa Rica. Could we find one of those? Mm. Nope. No. The, the country decided not to do them anymore. You can't buy one for love nor money. Oh, wow. What about, so, um, what about Wi-Fi? Does anybody have rules for Wi-Fi? Because there's always a security issue there. Huge security issue. Um, I try not to use it at all when I'm traveling. So you, if you I don't, can get a wired connection somewhere safe, fine. Otherwise, use my phone. So wired connection, you're talking rent a hotel room and plug in. Yeah. But the thing is, most devices don't plug in anymore. I mean, yeah, really, that port is gone. It, it's really become a major problem. Um, Wi-Fi in a hotel is not secure, period. doesn't matter if you have to log into it. When you log into a Wi-Fi in a hotel, you're logging into their portal, which means that you are saying, Yes, I won't hold you responsible because they have no security. There is no safety. Anybody else on that wireless network in the hotel, if they know what they're doing, has access to your laptop. Um, there's no security direct to anywhere safe. There's nothing. that's It's open. Don't assume it's safe because you're logging in to the hotel. It's not. Well, anybody else rules for, for Wi-Fi? Um. No, I mean, we know that we should be more careful when we're traveling with Wi-Fi, but um, we do use the phone as a hotspot if we've got enough data. That's right. definitely so, the best way. Yeah, yeah, because then it's your own, right? And then you're, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not yeah. falling. It's funny because- But look, the th- if, they, if, if they really want to hack in, no matter what precautions yeah. you take, yeah. th- they can do it. I just heard that one of the scams that people run is with hotels is they'll put up a fake, like they say you're staying at, I don't know, a Ramada and um, somebody will put up a, a Wi-Fi saying Ramada or Ramada one or something like that. And you connect to it and it's their, their own little Wi-Fi so that they, they hack for hack you from there. So there's some, um, yeah. there's some real cunning little scams out there to catch you. But Graham, I, I, like, I know you had the, the credit card stolen not too long ago. When Was that through Wi-Fi or did you ever I find out? Uh, well, they they got my numbers, didn't they? Uh, all my cards, like all three of them, different cards. And uh, the, the the banks found it before I knew about it, and they'd all been stopped. I don't know how it happened, and I think I think it happened before I got to India. I mean, it happened just before I left. I think I can't remember the details now. It's a couple of years ago, but but how all three, all three cards? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, they were different cards from different banks, and all three of them were stopped, <laughs> <laughs> and and then left with the last one. 
the, the third one, I said, look, you can't stop this card. And I think I probably told you the story live when it was happening. And so what I had to do was get into the, to the, um, to the hotel, the Indian hotel, say, right, I need your Wi-Fi. Get on their Wi-Fi, WhatsApp my, uh, my bank, say, can you unblock my credit card now? And they say, okay, it's unblocked now. The Indian hotel would run the card and pay the bill, and then the company would re-block it again. And that's how we limped through the last few days in India while all my cards were stuck. Oh, what a wow. That's but an amazing outstanding company. To do that. Yeah, that's, wow. that, that's very nice the company do that because I can just imagine them saying, sorry, you know, you're stuck. That's all there is to it. <laughs> But uh, Graham, you you mentioned that I think we talked about using a virtual private network, and and were you using one? Or you, I, I think you mentioned about it. Uh, I, I no, that was before we left. That was the only way to book a train a ticket on Indian trains because you just went around in circles. Because and and unless you used a VPN, said you were in India, and oh. that was the only time I used a VPN. That was that was to do with booking trains in India, not to do with credit card stuff. Right. Yeah, if you're doing we, any, we always any use security, of VPN is definitely the way to go. Yeah. But a VPN through Wi-Fi, I mean, I know we're getting too technical here about yeah. Wi-Fi, but VPN through Wi-Fi and, and you, you use that? Yeah, if you have to. Yeah. Um, I prefer to use my phone and use the data on my phone because it's more secure. But a VPN through Wi-Fi in a hotel should be pretty good. Yeah, they're, I would still be slow. very leery. Yeah, they're, they're a little sure slow because of the connection, slow. and sometimes they'll, you'll get flagged for things like uh, Google or something like that. Will we'll flag you as um, sort of a mystery. I, I think they see you as you know um, some sort of wild card there, and they'll they'll stop you being able to use Google without doing maybe a capture or something like that. Yeah, that happens. But as long as you can get in, it doesn't matter. The main thing is you can trade off the convenience of having a direct connection against the slow more difficult connection or against secure banking or getting your credit card stolen and who knows what else. Mm -hmm. So in any banking you should do is, is you should have your banking set up so that you have a minimal, a small account that you do online and you can have it so that once a month or something, a few thousand dollars gets transferred automatically into that to keep it kind of topped up, but it should never be your main bank account with lots of money in it. That's right. just doing that online is crazy. Not connected yeah, to that advice. card. Yeah. But I was going to say, my son just went through that. He, he just had his, uh, his card hacked. He doesn't know how, but they took all of his money in $50 transactions and uh, cleaned out his bank account. Uh, he was lucky that the bank refunded his money, but it took some, it took some days, I think about a week. He did get it back luckily, but at first he thought he wasn't going to, but you know, and he still has no idea how they got that. That's what it, um, a debit card. Mm, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, it happens. The main thing I think to understand here is that anytime you go online with anything in the way of critical information, even your birth date, that is critical information that somebody can use. You need to secure it completely and make sure that if they do get something, it's not a critical thing. Your birthday's on so Facebook. You again. You're an idiot. Sorry. I shouldn't <laughs> My say birthday's that. not on Facebook, believe me. Mine's not there, but a lot of people's is. <laughs> yeah, well, they shouldn't be. Don't give out more information than they absolutely require to let you use the facility. And if they ask you for things like your birth date, don't use it. Mm-hmm. It's just not secure. That's, that's how people get their identity stolen. You pick up a birth date from here, uh, the school you went to when you were in grade one over there, and then they similar later they figure out what your mother's maiden name is, and you're screwed. 
Don't Grant, you just gave them the there. formula. Now everybody's going to know how to do this. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> okay. So, so one last question I have about rules. I, I'm curious about toilet rules, and I think this is directed towards Shirley and Graham. <laughs> but everybody, do you have any rules for toilets? Clean. What's in me first? Yes, oh, no, I'll 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 first. Or a preferred? There's oh, a preferred. Yes. When you need one, you need one. If you've got a, if you've got a runny bum, if you've got to go, you've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, find one. But, you know. <laughs> and certainly some places, um, Brian would say, oh, I don't know why you're carrying on about this. Until we got into um, far eastern Russia and we'd stop at those lovely little petrol stations that had the, I don't know what you'd call them, pit. And he would come out and go, don't go in there. Just do not go in there. And uh, we would ride until we found somewhere that we could go off the road. And it's just, you just got to be sensible about it. Oh, God knows what sort of germs were lurking around some of those places. I think the worst toilet that I've ever had to use was on a train in India. Um, I had stomach upset. Uh, the train was moving quite quickly. Um, the railway tracks were um, fairly uneven. They change position with the heat, so they get quite warped. And it's um, a hole in the floor squat, and you can see the, the tracks moving underneath this hole in the floor. But all around, other people have been having problems with aiming oh, too. Oh, no. So you're squatting on this thing desperately trying not to fall over and your feet are sliding around underneath you oh. every movement of the train and you know that the walls are going to be absolutely disgusting too because other people have been wiping their bums and holding on to the wall but you have no choice yep. you have to use it there's the picture the right there is, come those, visit those, those people <laughs> Those people walk out of there and then they tread it down the corridors of the trains and I'm in yep. the whole, mm. whole train thing. And I, I, I was thinking, you know, when we when the lockdown first uh, started big time in March, whenever it was, and it happened in, in India, I thought, I wonder if they're taking this opportunity to clean all the trains. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> when was the last time they cleaned them? Because <laughs> is there such a thing as a new train? You know, I've been going to India for 25 years and they're all the same and they're all, they all appear to be the same age. You never go in a train. Oh, this is a new one. I mean, they just all, they all came off the production line at one point. They've never, ever produced a new train. <laughs> they're wonderfully maintained, aren't they, as a rule? Listen, just changing the subject totally, have you guys seen the YouTube footage about using a can of tuna to cook your dinner? No. 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 This I found was absolutely fascinating because we're stuck indoors. I can't try this. But if any of you guys who've got a bit of garden space can try it for me and let me know whether it works, I would love to know. What they do is that they buy a can of tuna fish that's in oil. Now, normally we buy... Um, that one we're traveling because you can fry your garlic and your onions and all the rest of it in the oil. That works. But anyway, so what they do is they take the lid off the, um, the tin of tuna. They put a couple of sheets of toilet paper across the top, and then they put the lid back on. They take three rocks and put those around this tin. They set fire to the toilet paper, which has been um, infused with the oil from the tuna can, and then they cook on top of this. And while they're cooking, 
the tuna fish is heating itself up as well. So they cook their pasta. And when the pasta's done, they just empty the, take the, the piece of paper off um, and empty the pasta into the pot. Can one of you guys please try that for me? I would love to know if it really works. Uh, just one word to say to you, Sam. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's, uh, that's, that's interesting, Sam. I think you're, you have too much time on your hands, to be honest with you. And, and I, I thought you were going to say they were using the, the tuna as well for fuel, but they're eating the tuna. So, I mean, that's, you know, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I mean, Burn off that oil that, and eat the tuna. Exactly. It just fits my budget mentality. Wow. Well, wow. you should try you it in your apartment, Sam. I don't think there's any problem with it, trying it in your apartment. I think it's completely safe. Jim, you're yeah. <laughs> so let's move into plug, shall we? Sam, what do you have for a plug? Well, I think it's a really, really nice feedback on my audio backs from raw listeners. So I want to say thank you very much to you guys for taking the time out to actually get in touch about this. Um, I really value it. So thank you. Now, I know we're getting lots of new listeners um, every show. So for those of you who haven't come across them yet, the four books take you traveling through the different continents of what turned out to be the eight-year journey around the world. And you can download the audio books from either Audible or iTunes. And if you risk one, I, um, I, I hope you enjoy them. Um, and start with Into Africa first, because that's, where, that's the first year of the eight-year trip. And um, an awful lot happens in that first year including the scariest experience that's ever happened to me in life. And I'll ask um, Jim and Elizabeth if they'll put the, the links for Audible and um, iTunes um, on the, the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Great books. I've read them all. Thank you. So, Graham, what do you have for plugs? Um, just a little update on Nirvana, really. My last book, my newest book. Um, if you were wary about buying a book you didn't know anything about, uh, go onto Goodreads or go onto Amazon.co.uk and look at reviews. It's getting spectacular reviews. People really like it. Thank God. So um, read them, them, and then make up your mind if you want to buy it. Don't listen to me. I'm biased. <laughs> well, why not just buy it, try it, and then give you a write-up? I mean, how much money is it? So we're not talking a lot of money here. And you've um, you've also got your other books. So you're into how many books now? Four books and three audiobooks. Four books, three audiobooks. Does that, I might have asked you this before, but does that put you on some sort of new level now, this new book? Like as an author, do you actually gain some sort of notoriety by the number of books you have out? Uh, I think in my own mind, I'm becoming a bit of a legend, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I expected that. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my girlfriend's mother made me, I just gave it to me yesterday, day before. She made, she got this, she's massively into her crafting. And she made this, she got this bottle, this clear bottle, and she put my book covers, it's a square bottle, on two sides of it. And on the inside is the other two book covers. And it's filled with, they tell me, this really good rakia. And the divides between the photos a little tire tracks like the cover of Different Natures and the T-shirt logo. And then on the top is a little rubber tire, little with tread on it, that you unscrew the, the lid of this rakia bowl. So it's wow. a bottle, which you can, which because it's a, a transparent liquid, you can see all four of the book covers. It's absolutely stunning. Not only have I never had such a thoughtful gift, but I certainly never had a, an in-law who liked me as much too much as they wanted to do something like that for me. So, uh, yeah, that was spectacular. Is there a language barrier here? I'm, I'm wondering if there's a language barrier here because, I mean, is she telling you something? She tore your covers off your book and she shoved them in a bottle of, of alcohol. I don't know. Is she trying to tell you something? 
I think she's, I think, um, I'm not going down the marketing opportunity there. <laughs> he's not going to, he's not going to bite. Shirley, no, he's, not. he's too smart for that. <laughs> what do you have for plugs, Shirley? Well, um, there's no point in trying to buy our books as real books at the moment because there are no, um, excuse me, no aircraft leaving Australia with post on board. <laughs> but the e-books are available through Amazon and um, all those all those sites <laughs> and you can also get them print on demand overseas rather than from us. But um, if everyone else is plugging their books, I think it's only fair that we get a plug in as well. <laughs> right. And we've only done three. We've only yeah. done three sure. Oh, you've only done yes, three but books. It's not, uh, but can I just say, Jim, sometimes quality is more important than quantity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice just thing. saying. Just saying. Well, I'm is that what you're going to your first book? <laughs> um, it's interesting what you just said about um, postage um, coming out of Australia because I'd noticed that I had a customer who wanted to buy one and I, uh, one of my books and I, I very carefully checked the, the, the shipping costs and £50 oh, to get one of my it. books to Australia at the moment. And today the prices seem to have gone up from the, for the States too. Oh, wow. Price, so wait, the postal airlines. The prices are going up for 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 posts? yeah because there's well there's so few planes going there's so few ships taking cargo etc cetera, etc cetera, that mm. um that, that, I mean these guys are still having to maintain their warehouses pay their staff maintain their vans and all of the rest of it and if they're getting less business then they're having to put the costs up and all of a sudden it's a wow good grief yeah but post is government you think they would just uh, you know keep that going I mean, yeah they're, they're, you're they're, using a courier system aren't you Sam you're not I have using to. Oh, no, why can't you use post? Because um, the last four books that I've sent to the United States using the post system haven't made it. Ooh. Yeah, we, we've had that problem as well. People send us book, books in particular from the UK, but um, things from the UK. And yeah, for some reason, it either, either doesn't make it or takes a tremendous long time that yeah. we end up getting another one sent. And then uh, yeah, yeah. a month later, all of a sudden it shows up. So I don't know what dinghy they're putting it on uh, or what current they're getting in the ocean that they're, that they're somehow messing up, but... <laughs> It's it's not happening. Yeah, I just had a shipment arrive that was sent out from Illinois seven weeks ago. Just arrived yesterday. Wow. Yeah. 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 You could have walked there. Yeah. I'm consider myself really lucky that my books are available via the book depository because they do free worldwide delivery. And how they do that is that um, they they'll fill a container from the UK or they'll have their own plane. And they'll just fill this whole, whole plane with books and they'll go over to wow. the United States or wherever. Um, and they're offloaded and off they go. Um, so that's still working. Um, but individual postage, wow, that's that's really oh, painful at the moment. Sam, if I had a plane, I'd fly your books too. <laughs> Thank you, mate. <laughs> and, and I would buy you several beers at the end oh, of the day, cold so ones. Kind of you. You're a good and, guy. In a beautiful spot. Ah. Would you fly our books, Jim, or just Sam's? Don't push it, Shirley. Um, <laughs> Grant, okay. you got to fly to Australia to get yours. Grant, what do you got for a plug? <laughs> oh, not a heck of a lot. Um, we're down to maybe three meetings this year. One mini meeting in Bulgaria. France is still happening, but that mm. may well Bulgaria not happen. Bulgaria was last weekend, Grant. <laughs> yes, you're right. It was. <laughs> right. You're I not missed quite keeping entirely. up to speed on things, are you, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. That's really sad. That 400, I think, is get, putting too much breeze in your hair. Well, yes, so that is so good. <laughs> um, 
France is theoretically going ahead, but like I say, I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Uh, South Africa, same thing. We're not sure. That's November, but South Africa is not doing well right now. So it's entirely possible that the Bulgaria Mini, such as it was, may be the only event this year. Wow. Uh, we're optimistic for 2021. Now, of course, the, the hub is still up and running. You can still go there and, and get all the benefits of the hub. Yes, absolutely. There's lots of information. Our, our traffic is actually up. People are visiting and dreaming and planning. Um, micro adventures are being talked about, and just getting out and doing something. So there's lots of that, plus all the information you need to plan wherever you want to go in the world next year. So we're looking forward to 2021 as being a good year. Hopefully we'll be in luck and the virus will have been beaten back into submission somewhat in at least parts of the world. And, um, we'll be able to move on with life. Yep. One of the things, Grant, that I've been noticing on Horizons quite a lot recently is people who ended up having to cut their stories, their journey short, and then yes. posting the stories about how they dealt with it. And the positivity from these people, the optimism is just fantastic to see. Yes. The ingenuity that they've all been going through, absolutely brilliant. Um, Jim, the program that you've just done with um, Jeremy yeah. and Elle, um, I haven't listened to it yet. Is is it out now? Yeah, yeah, it's out now. And and that's um, Southward Chronicles, it's called. And we've sort of been following them through their adventure from when they left Canada about a year ago. And they've just they've just wrapped things up now as far as committed to putting an end to it. And uh, yeah, that's if you drop by Adventure Out of Radio or anywhere you get podcasts, you can find that Southward Chronicles. Um, and, and that's really, we've been getting great feedback on that. Yeah, um, and I was going to sure mention the hub. We, we just mentioned the hub before. We didn't give a website. That's horizonsunlimited.com. Of course, the hub for anything you need to know about adventure travel anywhere, whether it's your backyard or halfway around the world, it doesn't matter. There's tons of information. And of course, we still have Vimeo, vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited. If you want to watch some great videos to get you inspired and excited and informed about what you need to know. There's, there's so many little things that you just don't realize. Um, and the DVD series, now straight video series for download um, or streaming, whatever you prefer. There's so much in there from so many people who've done so many different trips and, and different ideas. We make a point in there of not saying this is the way. It's, it's not a, a cookbook on how to do it. It's a how to think about it, like we talked earlier about mindset and being open to serendipity. This is all about different ideas, different approaches. I remember one person who shall remain nameless says that coveralls is all you need for riding gear. And somebody else says, no, you need proper gear, proper protection. So it's two very different attitudes and ideas. You take away what works for you, but all these different ideas and ways of looking at things are presented in there. There's just a ton of information and the whole series for years now has been receiving rave reviews. I've never heard anything bad about it. Everybody says, yep, I learned a ton. I saved a ton of money from it. There's lots of good information on there. So vimeo.com slash horizons unlimited while you're in lockdown, or even if you're not, go and check it out. Yep. Very let cool. me, let me get Brian in here. He, he hasn't got his plug yet. Brian, what have you got? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to plug uh, this Motorcycle Council um, Advisory Committee that I've um, been uh, put on simply because it's 
our opportunity is, as motorcyclists to get our message across into how to create a better environment for motorcyclists here in Victoria in particular, but it could influence all of Australia. So any listeners out there who has any information they want to pass on to this committee, and it's not just a, a, um, some committee that's not going to be taken notice of. It's, it sits underneath um, the Minister for Department of Transport here in Victoria, and on it are the head of the Transport Accident Commission, the Assistant Commissioner for Traffic in Victoria Police, uh, the Executive Director of Road Safety in Victoria, um, the, the Safer Roads uh, person who's responsible for regional roads as well. And this is our opportunity. There's seven of us from the, the uh, motorcycle community who are also on this committee. It's our opportunity to put things that influence motorcycling, make it safer, make it more enjoyable, or whatever it is, we need your input. And, and the only way we can get your input is if you tell us. We've got our own ideas, but we really want people to tell us. So any, any raw listeners out there that um, – want to uh, have their input. There's no guarantees, but my attitude has always been you can't change things from outside the tent. You've got to get inside and tell people what it's all about um, to make them sit up and take notice or listen and at least in a um, in a, a formal sense have some input. So here's your opportunity. Um, you can contact us via our website, um, au, or through Jim, through Adventure Rider Radio Raw, anything to do with motorcycling that you think we might be able to put forward to the people that make decisions and make the, the laws and all those things that go with it, here's our opportunity. So please get in touch. Okay. Very good. Well, nice that you got put on that committee, Brian. Very good. Okay. Well, I, I think we, um, we wrapped it up then. This is it. Thank you very much, everyone. That was a good time. Yeah, it's been fun. Good to get to you, everybody. Nice one. Thanks, guys. And um, yeah, Graham, I I love um, your fantasy, mate. And whatever you're smoking or what are you having, I want some. things up for this month's ARR Raw and thank you to my co-host Sam Manicom starting with Sam Manicom he lives in the UK he's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world his website sam-manicom.com Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia they also have published their own books on motorcycle travel you can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website aussiesoverland.com.au Graham Field lives in Bulgaria he's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells at his website at gramfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Adventure Rider Radio.